Hello and welcome back to Young Nostalgia, the podcast that takes a trip down memory lane from two guys that never lived it. I'm Nolan, and on the other end of the mic, uh, about 800 miles away from me, is my good old friend Ben. How you doing? How you doing, bud? Uh, oh my god. Uh, I think the longer we go, the less we can get through it, just a regular show intro before we, we derail. See the problem is is that you guys don't hear what's going on before we hit the re- before we hit the record button. <laughs> yeah, there's so many shenanigans. How you doing, bud? Oh, I'm doing good. How are you? Not too bad. It's great to be back. Uh, we thank you guys so much for joining us as we talk about our passion for the past while being young at heart. Episode 31 coming at you. So we we were talking about this, uh, just kind of looking back on influential musicians uh, throughout the past, and we wanted to to kind of highlight how these guys' careers are kind of coming to the end. They're getting to that age. I mean, you know, the the careers were just filled with highlights, monumental moments, ups and downs, and now they're just kind of winding it down and trying to coast through. Um, you know, for the new age stuff, and, and and you know, people are still kicking it out there, uh, like different bands, solo artists. But uh, bozos like us probably pick the two most career-rich musical artists there possibly were. So now the show is either going to run really long, or we're going to split it in two. But we're talking about Elton John and Neil Young. Oh, should I say Sir Elton John there and you Neil go. Young? <laughs> <laughs> But uh, as as always, we're looking for any of you guys' feedback out there. Find us on iTunes, Podbean, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere you get your podcasts. Leave a kind review if you like what we're hearing, and feel free to download the app and take us anywhere. It's coming up on a year in April, so we're looking for any feedback as well as show ideas as uh, we mark this monumental moment in young nostalgia history where we'll be one year old burning and yearning right here <laughs> with a live feed. Give us some show ideas at our email, youngnostalgia2017 at gmail.com. Anyway, anything else you want to add before we start killing it? Nope. Well, well I do I do want to add something. The the stuff we're going to cover today, it's, I mean, it is major highlights of highlights because there is, I mean, we had to weed through pages and pages and pages of information on these guys. And it's, it was, like you said, the, the two guys that we picked, I mean, it, we really set ourselves up for failure on the uh, show prep because <laughs> there was so much information to go through and try to pick out good stuff. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's hard. I mean, we should almost just do five episodes, like two and a half on one and two and a half on the other. It's yeah, it's insane. But <laughs> don't 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 get mad at us out there if we skip a couple parts here and there just because they're just so they got so much history in them. It's it's hard to hit everything. It's hard to hit everything in a show like this. <laughs> anyway, right. Sir Elton John, what do you got, big guy? All right, Sir Elton Hercules John, uh, originally born Reginald Kenneth Dwight on March 25th, 1947. Um, I, I had no little... idea his middle name was Her- Hercules. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I... I can't. I think somewhere in the show prep I have the date. I don't have it off the top of my head when he when he changed that. Okay. But. Uh, a little bit of a backstory. If you don't know who Elton John is, which I have no idea who would be living under a rock, you know, and doesn't <laughs> know who Elton John is, uh, he's an English singer, pianist, and composer. Uh, worked a lot with lyricist Bernie Taupin um, as his songwriting partner since 1967. 
um, and they ended up collaborating on more than 30 albums to date. Um, in his five-decade career, Elton John has sold more than 300 million records, making him one of the best-selling music artists in the world. Wow. Uh, he has uh, more than 50 top 40 hits, um, seven consecutive number one U.S. albums, 58 Billboard top 40 singles, 27 top 10, four <laughs> number two, nine number one. It's just, it's nuts. Uh for basically over 30 years, 1970 to 2000-ish, um, he has had at least one song in the Billboard Hot 100. Wait, I mean, it's his career just doesn't stop. You know, I I don't I don't think he's that good to be honest. <laughs> yeah, Ellen John's okay. <laughs> just kidding. Love Ellen John. <laughs> um, as well as he he did a lot of work. Uh, in addition to his regular music career, he did a lot of uh, backing for soundtracks for movies, especially Disney movies. Um, he's cameoed in all kinds of movies. Um, basically, if, if it's inter- anything uh, entertainment related, he's been involved in some way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, a bit big. A big thing that I associate him with is like either the, like the musical, um, as well as the movie like Lion King, because he was mm-hmm. really influential in that. And I mean, oh, yeah. it, it's it's so cool listening to the soundtrack of it because you can just hear Elton John's style, and it's it's so it's so cool. And you, and you can picture him like perform like if you're sitting there playing all this stuff, you can see him sitting there in some like ridiculous lion outfit or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> he had, that's how he got inspired. Yes, yes. <laughs> God. Uh, well, hey, it's better than the oily naked. Greek wrestlers that you talked about before. <laughs> yeah, greased up naked guys <laughs> wrestling. <laughs> oh jeez. We've already we've already lost the show. Okay. Well, uh that was a brief overview. How about uh you take us through part of his early life and career beginning? Sure thing. So Sir Elton John started playing the piano actually at age three. Um, and then within a year, his mother heard him picking out uh, Winifred Artwell's Atwell's The Skater's Waltz just by ear. So he would, you know, play this very intricate piece just by hearing the music. Didn't read any music, just was able to copy. That's amazing. And, you know, that's that's such a common theme with prominent musicians is, you know, it, it, you know, at an extremely early age, their life is going to revolve around music. Yeah, they're geniuses. This is geniuses. It's insane. Kind of one of a kind. One of a kind. Um, after performing at parties and family gatherings, just at the wee old age of seven, he took up formal piano lessons. From here, he showed musical aptitude at school, including the ability to compose melodies and gain some notoriety by playing uh, like Jerry Lee Lewis at school functions. So just pretty much kind of showing off his own musical talents and kind of being the center of attention that just like his personality, his persona is even on the stage. Mm-hmm. At the age of 15, uh, with the help of his mother, as well as, as well as his stepfather, uh, Reginald Dwight became the weekend pianist at a nearby pub. So the North, uh, Northwood Hills hotel. And he played there Thursday to Sunday, um, throughout the evenings. So he played songs like Jim Reeves, Ray Charles, and other originals that he even composed. So just at the age of 15, he was in the public eye in 
pubs during the evening. I mean, a 15-year-old kid mm-hmm. playing this kind of music in the pub. I mean, it's, I mean, if he was doing that sort of thing, he was basically at 15, he was already a professional. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, he was definitely, I mean, he was, he was good enough to be playing multiple nights a week, every week at a professional establishment. And that, <laughs> that's, that's pretty crazy. That's pretty awesome, <laughs> man. Following up in 1962, Dwight and his... It's so weird just to hear Dwight and kind of trying mm-hmm. to picture that with Elton John. Dwight and his friends formed a band called Blue... Blue... Blueology. There we go. Blueology. Bluesology. Bluesology. Like blue... Bluesology. Bluesology. There you go. <laughs> you and I... You have to start teaching me some, like, speech lessons. I'm getting pretty bad at this. <laughs> By day, he ran errands for a music publishing company. So even then, just his like regular day-to-day job was surrounded by music. He ran errands for the, the music publishing company. He probably even met a lot of musical figures at that time oh, of course. as well, of course. which is great for his career. Um, he then divided his nights between solo gigs at a London hotel bar, probably associated with uh, the acts that he had while he was younger, and uh, working with Blueology. Um, as well. So, in between the time that he had free, he was playing music, and when he was working, he was around music. <laughs> in in 1966, <laughs> the band became uh, musician Long John Baldry's supporting band, and played 16 times at the Marquee Club, which is pretty a prominent pop culture thing within London. Oh yeah, I mean it's it, you know it's not like it's the the small little bar and grill up the road. I mean it was a <laughs> Yeah, you know, he was playing. Uh, he wasn't, you know, the main attraction, but just being in the supporting band for something like at a place like that is is already a pretty major step in a in a music career. Yeah, definitely. And you know, being on a poster or something like that, you know, um, it would be like Long John Baldry's performance backed by Blueology or mm-hmm. Elton John or Dwight, I guess, at this time yeah. still. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> 1967, Dwight answered an advertisement in the British magazine New Musical Express, placed by Ray Williams, uh, then the A&R manager for Liberty Records. So once he kind of answered the advertisement for some talent, uh, at their meeting, Williams gave Dwight an unopened envelope of lyrics written by Bernie Taupin, who had answered the same ad as well. So from there, Dwight wrote music for the lyrics and then mailed it back to Toppin, uh, beginning a partnership that still continues to this day, which I know that you kind of opened up with that. But this is just kind of the beginning. And then, you know, from here, it's almost like Dwight, Elton John, his uh, career kind of skyrocketed like Rocket Man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Had to put that uh, in there. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's just kind of funny how they, they met each other. It was... They just happened to answer the same ad, and I mean, it couldn't be more perfect than that, you know. And <laughs> yeah. what would their careers look like if they had not answered the same ad, or they had answered the same ad months apart, you know, to where they never got that connection? Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's just kind of funny how it, it's not like they grew up together or something like that, to where it there's some other influence it's just they happen to be in the right place at the right time i know it's insane i mean just things like that throughout history whether it be for a musician or anything is how it all lined up is almost fate it's ridiculous uh 
so the first the first time that they met was in 1967 when they recorded um, and would become the first Elton John slash Bernie Taupin song, Scarecrow. Uh, from there, Dwight was going by the name Elton John in homage to two members of Bluesology that he was uh, worked closely with, and that was saxophonist Elton Dean and vocalist Long John Baldry, which uh, was a huge connection for him, especially with starting his career in the backing um, backing uh, musician um, back in the early 60s when, he, when his career started. So his name was legally actually changed to, Hel- to Elton Hercules John on the 7th of January, 1972. And that's kind of how we know him today. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> it's, kind of a, it's kind of a crazy name. Like, I mean, Elton John, okay, that's weird. But, you know, legally changed throwing Hercules in there too. It just, I, don't know, I know. It's interesting. I, I, understand, I, I understand where he's getting Elton and John, but <laughs> Hercules coming out of there. Is, uh, yeah, I don't know off the top of my field. head. That would have been good to include in the show prep. Oops. Where did That's Hercules okay. come from? Oh, well. Maybe some other time. <laughs> Tune in next time when Young Nostalgia actually does good show prep. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, we have fun. Um, the-, so <laughs> the team of Elton John and Bernie Taupin joined Dick James's DGM Records as staff songwriters in 1968. So still, he's kind of in the background, but... He's gotten so much exposure in the music injury, industry that, you know, his style is able to slip in for, um, you know, prominent record labels. So, and, and after the next two years, he wrote material for various artists, among them Roger Cook and Lulu. So Toppin would write a batch of lyrics under an hour and give it to John, who would then write music for them in just a half an hour. So within an hour <laughs> and a half, under two hours, there was a music, there was you know, entire song written, completed, ready to go, um, disposing of the lyrics if uh, he couldn't keep, come up with anything quickly. So really, if Elton John didn't have any inspiration <laughs> off of Toppin right away, it was like, start over, I can't do it. <laughs> it's just so funny how their minds work together. Like two musical geniuses in one room is insane. That's crazy. Yeah, in under two, I mean, that's just cranking them out. I mean, that is about <sighs> as efficient as it gets for... Uh, writing music and lyrics. Yeah, I mean these guys. These guys' talents were so multifaceted. Because I mean, you know, you have you know artists today. Granted that the way that the songs are delivered and all that is extremely well done and very talent oriented. But sometimes music musicians, you know, they they don't they might not write the song. They might mm-hmm. find the song, find the lyrics. People write for them. They perform it. They tailor it to their style and what they do. But Elton John and Toppin, they would do it all. They would write the lyrics, they would be inspired by the music, and they would help produce it, you know, everything. It's just how multifaceted the talents were, were amazing. Mm-hmm. Did you have something to say? No, I didn't. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was clearing my throat. I'm sorry. Oh, all right, all right, all right. Got something <laughs> stuck in there. Uh, yeah. for, two, for two years, they wrote uh, easy listening tunes for James to peddle... Um, <laughs> to pedal the singers and then throughout that time Elton John was also a session musician for other artists including playing piano on the Hollies He Ain't Heavy He's My Brother which is an amazing song um, and singing backing, backing vocals for Scott Fold all I can think Scaffold, of is sorry. all I can think of is you know when uh, Austin Powers is saying that when he finds out Dr. Evil's his brother oh <laughs> <laughs> he ain't heavy He's my brother. <laughs> yeah, I can't. 
I can't think of it in my brain though without you know Austin Powers' voice behind it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, we definitely should not quit our day job. Uh, on the no, advance, no. <laughs> <laughs> on the advice of music publisher Steve Brown, John and Toppin started writing more complex songs for John to record for himself at uh, DJM Records. So the first single of the album, Border Song, made into the U.S. Top 100, peaking at 90. Two. The second single, Your Song, reached number seven in the UK singles chart and number eight in the US, becoming John's first hit single as a singer-songwriter. The album soon became his first hit album, reaching number four on the US Billboard 200 and number five on the UK albums chart. And this is really kind of how he kissed his past goodbye and Elton John is in the limelight of musical, uh, musical pop culture. Yeah, and he's, you know, at, at this point, he's, before he was doing a lot of big things, but it was more or less behind the scenes without his name really out there. But mm-hmm. now he's successfully made that jump from behind the scenes successful guy to front stage uh, prominent name successful guy. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> in under 10 years, I can only imagine just how fast this entire process went. I mean, almost oh, yeah. overnight, you know, he, he recorded... Uh, this album, and then they sent it out to different distributors and publishers, and you know Elton John started becoming a common name in music. It's it's insane just to just to think. I mean, you can think about it. Any prominent musician where it's just your fame kind of grows within a week um, mm-hmm. or a month is it's hard to wrap your head around, um, man. So so the last thing here for. Uh, his beginning career, um, Elton John was backed by former Spencer Davis group drummer Nigel Olson, as well as bassist D. Murray. Uh, Elton John's first American concert then took place at the Trabador in Los Angeles back in August of 1970, and it was actually a huge success with um, attendance being very good. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, having albums out is one thing, but actually emerging onto the scene for live concerts is i mean that's another just huge jump <clears throat> another huge jump for a uh an, a a growing career definitely so getting a, moving on a little bit forward kind of skipping uh, a, a few years along here uh we're going into more of his career height and just glossing over the uh the 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 peaks in his career. So we have Goodbye Yellow Brick Road was released in October of 1973, gained instant critical acclaim and chopped the tart on both sides of the Atlantic, remaining number one for two straight months. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Holy cow. Um, It continued. It contained the U S number one, bending the jets along with other hits. Goodbye. Yellow brick road, candle in the wind, Saturday night's all right for fighting and funeral for a friend slash love lies bleeding. Um, Amazing. All of which are just tremendous songs. Amazing. And I mean, candle in the wind too is, is, uh, is such a beautiful song just because of who he wrote it about Marilyn Monroe. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and, and her passing as well. It's, I mean, it's such a monumental song. I mean, just this whole album is amazing, but I feel like Candle in the Wind really connected with people because of the connection that it had at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
And it was relatively shortly after this that John formed his own label named the Rocket Record Company, uh, distributed in the United States by MCA and initially uh, by Island in the UK, um, and signed various acts to it. Uh, notably, uh, Neil Sedeka for uh, known really known for Bad Blood, um, for which he actually sang background vocals. Um, as well as Kiki D, with whom he also had a personal interest as far as uh, musical, uh, as far as making music with. But it was kind of interesting, though. He he didn't he had this record label, but he actually didn't release his own records on Rocket, um, <laughs> which is kind of funny. He <laughs> yeah. uh, instead opted for uh, an eight million dollar contract offered by directly through MCA. Um, and another, it, it's pretty interesting to go along with that. Um, when he actually signed uh, with MCA in 1974, uh, MCA supposedly took out a $25 million insurance policy on <laughs> John's life. Oh my God. <laughs> because they saw him as such a valuable piece to their company. Wow. <laughs> So if, any, if anything would have happened to Elton John, MCA would have gotten $25 million. Yep. Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> that's how That's how highly they valued him. <laughs> wow. See, um, if, I was, if I was Elton John, I don't know how I'd feel. Like, absolutely yeah. honored or just be like, I am not just a money bag. <laughs> Yeah, you're like, oh, that's really cool. You think of me that much. Oh, wait, am I gonna, like, wake up in the morning like, dead? <laughs> yeah, you know, you know what? That's that's the kind of thing that, um, you know, conspiracy. I guess you wouldn't wake up, but well, yeah, but but like yeah. conspiracy things <laughs> move around. Like, what if Elton John passed away in a year or so after that happened? Yeah, how suspicious does that look on MCA? Yeah, and MCA is getting a check for twenty five million dollars. <laughs> Twenty-five and million dollars. <laughs> Just keeping with that Austin Powers theme. Yeah, we're back onto it. Yep. <laughs> in in 1974, MCA released its greatest hits album, uh, a UK and US number one, which is certified diamond by the RIAA for sales of 16 million copies in the US. Wow, wow! And I know my and, parents have the greatest album. The Greatest Hits album, for sure. Oh, do they? Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, I have it, like, obviously I have it digitally, but it's not as cool <laughs> as having, like, you know, the the, the, the original the original the, album, which would be awesome. The cassette? The cassette. <laughs> God. Uh, cassettes suck. <laughs> I do have uh, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, though. On cassette? No, not on cassette. <laughs> on record, you idiot. <laughs> uh, good, good one. Oh, jeez. Okay, you know, my, moving I, on. I think cassettes are coming back. I'm not going to lie. I th- I'm pretty sure... Well, they're I... coming back because it's like a hipster thing. Oh, and they yeah. like the crappy stuff that's hard to use, you know. <laughs> that was harsh. I apologize. <laughs> yeah, that is that was kind of harsh, man. Oh, were you like subtly hinting that you're like getting into cassettes? No, I'm just saying I think oh. I read something somewhere that okay. Cassettes I are... thought I was just shutting you down really hard for liking cassettes. <laughs> All right, moving on. 
Okay. Well, we'll come back to that because I think no one's into cassettes. In 1974, a collaboration with John Lennon took place, uh, resulting in Lennon's appearance on Elton John's single cover of the Beatles' Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, uh, the B-side of which was Lennon's One Day at a Time. Later on that year, uh, it would be... uh, really be Lennon's last major live performance uh, with the pair performing those two number one hits along with the Beatles classic I Saw Her Standing There at Madison Square Garden in New York. And Lennon actually made the rare stage appearance with uh, John and his band to keep a promise that he made um, that he would appear on stage with him if whatever gets you through the night became a U.S. number one single. And that's a bad bet to take with Elton John. <laughs> yeah. Because chances are it's going to go number one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. So he must have not been too worried about going out on stage because that's, like I said, that's a, I mean, that's a sure bet right there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Pete Townsend of The Who uh, asked John to also play a character called the local lad in the film. Uh, of the rock opera Tommy and to perform the song Pinball Wizard. That's Uh, cool. And that was something that I was not aware of. I really like Pinball Wizard, and I do prefer the Elton John version. Really? As to the Who version. Interesting. Uh, But I didn't really know the backstory of why he even did that version, (laughs) if that makes any sense. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's cool. It is kind of cool. Um and then moving on a little bit, we have to celebrate five years since he had first appeared at the venue. Uh, 19, in 1975, Elton John played a two-night, four-show stand at the Troubadour um, with, this is pretty crazy, with seating limited to under 500 per so, the chance to purchase tickets was determined by a postcard lottery with each oh. winner allowed only two tickets. Wow. I know. that's pretty interesting oh my god that's cool wow that's (laughs) insane a postcard lottery so really it's just wow i think you just kind of had to it was basically you send in your card and if your number's drawn then you get seats jeez i don't know that's 500 seating for 500 at an elton john show that would be amazing you i mean you could get you could have the crappiest seat in the house and it'd be amazing compared to yeah. like a normal concert. Yeah, you would still be like 30 feet from him. Mm-hmm. Besides being the most commercially successful period, uh, 1970 through 1976 also held uh, the highest regard critically as well. Uh, within this three-year span, uh, I'm sorry, within only a three-year span between 1972 and 1975, Elton John had seven consecutive albums reach number one in the U.S., um, and that was the first time ever that that had happened for Elton John or anyone else. Um, of the six Elton John albums to make Rolling Stone's list of the 500 greatest albums of all time in 2003, all are from this period, with Goodbye Yellow Brick Road ranked highest at number 91. Um, and going along with that, the three Elton John albums given five stars by All Music, uh, Tumbleweed Connection, Honky Chateau, and Captain Fantastic are all also from this period. That, I don't know. That's just I yeah. don't know. It's it, it's hard to it's hard to make commentary color on that because it all speaks for itself almost. 
Oh, oh, without a doubt. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it sounds ridiculous to, we, we can't speak enough about how big his career was. I mean, there's no way to describe it. He's just a household name in music anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. And so kind of looking on the other side of this, um, all of this success and how sh- how quickly it came for him, um, it did have some downsides to it, as we see with a lot of other performers. So by 1975, the pressures of stardom had begun to take a serious toll on him. Um, during the Elton John week in Los Angeles that year, he suffered a drug overdose. Um, and it was also around this time in general that he... Uh, he was he battled an eating disorder, uh, bulimia, um, and in a CNN interview with Larry King in 2002, King asked if John knew of uh, Diana, Princess of Wales, eating disorder. Uh, John replied, "Yes, I did. We were both bulimic," and so he did actually admit to it um, later on. But you, you know, I mean, it, it, it's that that's something you see so often. I mean, it's more. It seems like it's more often than not when someone is that prominent, especially if they rise to the top that fast. I mean, more often than not, they there's something going on behind the scenes that oh yeah, you may or may not know about. Yeah, big time, and just being so much in public scrutiny, public eye. Uh, you know, whether it be a small column or somebody who writes something. Um, you know, ed- letter to the editor or something like that. It, if uh, your producer or your manager comes across it, you know that they're, they're going to bring it up to you, and it's just constant, constant moving, constant public eye, and constant paparazzi. It just it tears you down little by little, um, mm-hmm. and with gaining so much nor- notoriety just within five six years. It's hard, man. It's really hard because mm-hmm. you can't you can't do anything without the person next to you knowing who you are. Oh yeah, I mean you can't you can't walk outside and get a gallon of milk with out without being swarmed. Yeah, you know, especially if you're already that huge of a public figure. Yep, <clears throat> and then you know probably touring all the time and asking to make mm-hmm. public appearances. You almost got to turn to other means to keep yourself awake or get yourself down to sleep because you need it it's it's hard i can imagine yeah yeah i mean there's so much pressure and i mean you're setting the bar that high time after time i mean that's got to be extremely stressful to you know always thinking about trying to to meet that bar and exceed that bar of expectations of your of your uh, record label of your fans of the market yep yeah, you know, so you don't. I mean, something like that. A, a couple, uh, a couple mistakes and a couple flops of albums. I mean, you're on a downward slide already that you may or may not be able to come back from. True, true. <clears throat> Excuse me. Wrapping up Elton John's kind of later career, as uh, he has announced his quote unquote last tour coming up, <laughs> um, where he'll officially retire afterwards but but usually it's hard for them to stay out of the spotlight for too long uh michelle and i were talking about this the other day we feel like when they say that they're about to retire it just gives them an excuse to write more music <laughs> so people yeah so yeah. people don't bother because i think El- elton john has retired supposedly retired at least once or twice before but i don't know he's supposedly he said this time's different because he's ending on a big three-year 
tour. Oh. Um, it's, it's almost like, you know, going out with a bang kind of deal. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't true. know if he'll stay out of the limelight this time. I guess we'll see. Well, we will see. Uh, <laughs> all right. His later career, a uh, biography channel actually special detailed the loss of John's voice back in 1986 while he was in on tour in Australia. Shortly after, therefore, he underwent throat surgery, which permanently altered his voice um, and on several non-cancerous pulp polyps were removed from his vocal cords probably just due to the strain um and constant usage of uh the way he sang and everything um and then back in 1990 he achieved his first solo uk number one hit single with sacrifice coupled with healing hands um, from the previous year's album sleeping with the past that album stayed uh, that single actually stayed at the top spot for six weeks in a row six weeks in a row that's pretty cool and and oh, yeah. I, I was reading this and it's just so interesting that it took up to 1990 to, for him to achieve his first solo uk number one hit single they were all like on the charts but they didn't hit number one mm-hmm. until the night until but that's kind of interesting because he had that huge success in the united states but in his home country you know it took him that long to to actually get a number one yeah yeah interesting uh, the following year, John's um, Basquet. Basque? Probably. Basque. Huh? Basque? Basque. That's what I thought. Uh, I was. <laughs> I just wanted you to catch it. John's Basque won Grammy for Best Instrumental and Guest Concert Appearance at Wembley Arena, who had made on um, George Michael's cover of Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me, was released as a single and topped the charts in both the UK as well as the US. Great song. Boy, that's a that's a good combination right there. Um, you know, uh, George Michael and Elton John. You know, George not not nearly the career that Elton John had, but I still also enjoy George Michael. That'd be, you know, the combination of those two it really worked out pretty well. Yeah, I agree. I agree. <laughs> two two greats. Um along with Tim Rice, Elton John, wrote songs for the 1994 Disney um, animated film The Lion King, which we've kind of touched on already. Um, and, and then at the 67th Academy Awards ceremony, The Lion King soundtrack provided three of the five nominees for the Academy Award for Best Song, which he then won with Can You Feel the Love Tonight. Both that and Circle of Life became hit songs for Elton John for the rest of his career. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, a guy that can just take even movie sound songs that were written specifically for a movie soundtrack and then turn them into hits in your just overall career <laughs> I, know. I don't know <laughs> it's that's it's cool it's awesome yeah i mean like, i mean you know as as awesome as john williams is you don't see him playing on like america's top 40 radio stations oh yeah that's <laughs> <laughs> what kind of stations do you listen to then what do you mean they play them on mine <laughs> I'm talking no, about I'm the, kidding. Okay. I'm kidding. I was about to be like, do I have to move back to Ohio? Um, <laughs> in 1997, two close friends of Elton John passed away. Designer Gianni Versace, uh, Versace, Versace was murdered. Versace, probably. Versace, yeah. all right. Was murdered. Diana, Princess of Wales, passed away in Paris due to a car crash on 31st of August, 1997. Um, and in early September, he contacted his writing partner, 
um, Bernie Taupin asking him to revise the lyrics of his 1973 song, Kindle in the Wind, to actually honor Diana, and Taupin rewrote the song um, accordingly to be able to pay tribute to um, Princess Di. On the 6th of of September 1997, John performed Candle in the Wind um, at the funeral of Princess Diana um, over in Westminster Abbey, which was, I know, huge, um, like just a huge moment, um, both in Elton John's career as well as just pop culture. Like he was really well known for that performance. Mm -hmm. The song became the fastest and biggest selling single of all time, eventually selling over 33 million copies worldwide um, and was the best-selling single in UK chart history as well as the best-selling single in Billboard history and the only single ever certified diamond within the United States. Wow. The single sold over 11 million copies throughout the US and was certified diamond. The only single certified diamond. That's yeah, that's that's pretty sweet. I mean, it's you know, it's not um, hard to believe that a song like that would would get that popular because a is based off of a already fantastic song, uh-huh. and b the meaning that it had behind it being rewrote for the loss of Princess Diana. Um, it's it's not difficult to see it, out of you know out of a lot of all of the songs that he had. I mean that that would be a top contender if you were just to guess at which one would be. Um, diamond single uh-huh for sure i mean it just kind of adds on to it on how much princess diana connected with people around the world it's uh mm. it's, it's amazing um back in 2010 john disliked appearing on his own music videos <laughs> he's saying this train don't <laughs> um for music videos such as this train don't stop there anymore featured justin timberlake portraying portraying young elton john and i want love featured robert downey jr who uh, lip-synced to the song <laughs> which is so funny <laughs> <laughs> that's why i put that's why I, want, I put that in there because i mean i i think i was aware of the justin timberlake um portraying elton john but i had no idea nor would i have ever guessed that there was a music video where robert downey jr was lip-syncing to elton john i know <laughs> i never heard of it and i never would have Bizarre. guessed that that was a thing he was probably he was probably wearing the iron man costume you know what i mean uh, oh i hope so <laughs> elton john was named a disney legend for his contributions to disney's films as well as theatrical works on 9th of october 2006 by the walt disney company um he also performed piano a piano duet with lady gaga at the 52nd annual grammy awards i know that was kind of a big deal and on the mm-hmm. 6th of june 2010 he performed the fourth wedding and consecutive commentator rush limbaugh for a reported um U.S. one million dollar fee, so Rush Limbaugh just paid a million dollars for Elton John to be there as well. Yeah, which is that's awesome. <laughs> Elton John at your wedding, totally worth a million dollars. Totally. Oh my God. Uh, rounding out in September 2013, John received the first Brits Icon Award for his lasting impact on UK culture. Um, Rod Stewart was the one to present the award on stage at the London Palladium before the two performed a duet. Sad songs say so much. Um, and lastly, on the 24th of January 2018, it was announced that John would be retiring from touring and would soon embark on a three-year farewell tour that uh, Ben and I even talked about pricing for tickets, and we would really want to go, but then we're also like, we don't have any money, 
<laughs> yeah. Oh man, that would be so awesome because just to to see Elton Don and show. But I mean, there the tickets are so crazy priced. Insane. The cheapest tickets are over two hundred bucks. Oh yeah, and that was for tickets that were like in the way back behind the stage, like facing yes. the wrong way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, with a guaranteed big person sitting in front of you that you can't see anything. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, but I want to go back to the a little bit to the uh, the first Brits Icon Award. Um, you know, I I think it's it, it's funny that it, he was presented the award by Rod Stewart. Um, I'm not a gigantic Rod Stewart fan. I don't have anything against him. I'm just not necessarily a fan of his work. But I know a lot of people are, and I think that's such a perfect person to present Elton John with an award. Yeah, you know, it's not like it's just some unknown idiot out there here here you go you know i mean it's presented by rod stewart i think that's really cool i think so too i i agree rod Rod stewart's fun um and i i know michelle's mom actually she's seen uh elton john a few years back and she loved it yeah it was amazing and then my my mom got free tickets to go see billy joel and elton john in concert when when was that because my parents went to something like that as well Probably 90s, early 2000s, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I know my parents have gone to see a Billy Joel and Elton John show before as well. Well, here's the kicker, though. They had the tickets. They were rearing to go. Show was canceled because Elton John was sick. <laughs> Ooh, that, yeah. oh, that stinks. I know. That stinks. How amazing would that concert have been? Yeah. Because I'm a huge <laughs> Billy Joel fan, too. Yeah, Billy Joel's really good. Wow. Anyway, <laughs> so turns out we're over 40 minutes into the podcast and we haven't even started on Neil Young yet, so we're going to split it here. Um, <laughs> and that's a wrap. Thank you guys so much for again joining Young Nostalgia this week as we continue our journey through retro pop culture. Um, as always, if you enjoy the show, leave a kind review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Uh, please feel free to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. See what we're doing on there. Um, you know, give us give us some reviews, get us some shout outs, and interact with us on Facebook and Twitter. Um, we want the fan feedback as we come up on one year of having a live feed of Young Nostalgia. We appreciate everyone coming along for the ride, and we hope we just keep on growing from here. We've almost hit fourteen hundred downloads since we started, which is not good by any means compared to like <laughs> really popular podcasts. But I think it's monumental for us because. Over the months, we've seen our downloads um, get bigger and bigger per episode, which is which is great that, to see. That and looking at the statistics, I, I've always been kind of happy with it. I've always looked at it as more of, I don't know if it really applies to downloads or not, but I look at it more of a quality over quantity because it seems like we have a lot of faithful listeners. Yeah, I mean, we always get a, a you know kind of sampling here and there of some stuff that pops up and then never downloaded from that region again. But a lot of times we get a steady stream of downloads from the same places all around the world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that, that's, I mean, I'm, I'm happy with the relatively no, no low numbers to, you know, to have that consistency, especially, I mean, we have a ton of other countries that I know as well. Australia, that's really cool. Australia, we see you out there, mates. It's awesome to have you. <laughs> yeah. Um, the UK is coming out a little bit. Um, I think we've had some in South Africa, yeah, yeah, there was quite a few in South Africa. I don't have the statistics right here in front of me, but yeah. you know, that'd be kind of fun to do at a, on a show sometime is talk about 
talk about our actual <laughs> statistics a little bit. <laughs> I but. agree. I agree. We got some New Yorkers out there, Massachusetts, East Coast representing. Good stuff. Uh, Ohio, probably one of our more popular ones because... I think the top two are Ohio and Nebraska. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder why. Uh, <laughs> anyway, long Thanks, story. <laughs> yeah, all right. Long story short, we love you guys, and it means a lot to have you with us. Um, and I hope you've enjoyed it so far. Um, and you know, we're, we're gonna keep on doing this as a hobby and bringing you as as good a content as we possibly can. Um, but I guess uh, that's all we got for you today. Anything else, big guy? Nope, I don't have anything. That was a fun show. Anything it, Elton John related is a good time. It's It was a blast. Um, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next time about Neil Young and his very lengthy but uh, successful career. Um, kind of a different path than what Elton John took, but um, still interesting to hear about. As we always say here on Young Nostalgia. Keep the bottles empty and the ashtrays full. Take care, everybody. Take care, everybody.